This is Fiberside Chat, a 3GIS podcast, bringing you the latest practices in the world of fiber networks and plus architecture. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the first episode of Fiberside Chat, a podcast by 3GIS. I am your host, Tyler Kern. Thank you so much for joining me today. Uh, with me, I have three amazing guests. Dustin Sutton is the president of 3GIS. Dustin, thank you so much for being here today. Yeah, thanks for having us. I'm excited about it. Yes, I, I'm really excited about this as well. Probably my favorite uh, podcast name that I've ever come across, Fiberside Chat. I, I love that a lot. Uh, we also have Michael Measles with us. He is the VP of Product Development. Michael, thank you so much for being here. Yeah, hey, Tyler. Hello, hello. Good morning to you. And Jimmy Hall is here as well, the VP of Product and Engineering Services. Jimmy, how are you today, sir? I'm great. Thanks, Tyler. Glad to be here. Excellent, excellent. Well, I'm happy to be sitting here with you guys and having this conversation today. Dustin, why don't you kind of take over and uh, give us introduce the topic today and kind of give us a little bit more about what we're talking about. We're going to talk about a little bit of the advantages and disadvantages of utilities deploying fiber optic networks and kind of share some of our personal experiences um, as as you introduced the people on the podcast, Michael Measles has, has been working with utilities in several different respects for 20 years, as has Jimmy Hall. So uh, definitely a good group here is, as they've seen and experienced a lot of challenges and advantages and can you know, share a lot of that wisdom with the community, hopefully. So. That's awesome. Well, th- these guys seem uh, extremely qualified to talk about this, and I-, I think probably a good place to start off would be to explain the differences maybe be- between a utility and a traditional telco. Would that be a good place to start? Yeah, I think it's important. Uh, we were actually having that chat the other day and, and trying to uh, def- better define it for others, so I think that's a, a great thing to talk about. So, Michael, why don't you uh, take over, or whoever feels qualified and, and really wants to kind of tackle that question. Guys, uh, explain the difference and what we're talking about here when we talk about a utility versus a traditional maybe telephone company or something along those lines. Sure, happy to, Tyler. For for us, we've defined a utility as, as an entity that provides multiple types of, of services, such as water, electric, and gas, uh, whereas a telco is primarily uh, defined by only providing telecommunications types of services to include uh, copper uh, uh, and uh, fiber technologies. And what we're seeing now is utilities are beginning to really blur the lines uh, between the, the, the historical definition of a telco and that they're starting to uh, deploy uh, communication networks to support their internal operations and and secondarily to to support uh, their subscriber base. So fiber is new to them, uh, but in, in terms of the utility uh, providing fiber services today, they're they're similar in, in terms of they're providing a service to their constituents. Uh, and uh, so we we do see a blur, I guess, between the two, uh, but there's still historically as as a as a specific distinction as we put it and as we talk about today um, uh, between what what historically has been a telecommunications company uh, as opposed to a utility company. We were even talking a little bit about the challenges of uh, kind of further defining utilities between you know are they co-ops are they municipalities are they strictly you know the electric company of the city. Um, so I think for, from from my point of view, utility is is an entity that that sends out a bill, uh, you know, to make it quite quite simple. Uh, and that bill is for the service that they provided for that month. Uh, as municipalities, as, which is an interesting point, get into providing communication services, ultimately they they require a mechanism to uh, to to deliver that bill uh, for the service that they're providing. And what we've what we have seen is. Uh, 
in, in terms of uh, the different state governments is a lot of municipalities don't necessarily have a charter which allows them to do so. Uh, but you do under municipalities have municipality owned utilities. Uh, so maybe an example of that might be um, um, Huntsville Utilities, for instance, is charged with providing electric and, and, and gas and water service to, to the citizens of, of their jurisdiction. Uh, but, but within that charter, they also have the ability to provision additional services such as communications. Uh, so I, I think there is a distinction between co-ops, utilities, and municipal-owned utilities, a co-op um, is typically a, a, a regional-based jurisdiction, which is providing service to customers across multiple jurisdictions uh, that has a service area that's been defined and set up uh, by a charter uh, and in which every one of their customers is essentially a member of, of the cooperative. Uh, and, and being so has a say uh, in the types of services uh, that the co-op is providing. So Jimmy Hall is our VP of, of engineering and product services, and he came to us from 20 years at AT&T uh, as a program manager there. So he's worked a lot with utility companies. And Jimmy, you were also saying that AT&T used to be a utility? Yeah, yeah I guess before the, uh, the vestiture in 1984, AT&T was a, they were a utility. Uh, they were governed by certain public boards. Uh, and then after that, then uh, they got away from being a utility. So yes, they were. So that's been a long time ago. Huh? Okay. Yes. All right. So as we, we talk about utilities, there's obviously some advantages and disadvantages of a utility going into fiber services. Uh, I, I guess if good, good thing to start on is if they're not already considering it, why should utility companies start looking at uh, fiber optic services? What are the advantages to them? I think one of the reasons that they're going to start looking at it, and they already are looking at it, there's probably no doubt that they're looking at it. And one reason is because of all the energy conservation that's been going on. It's really taken a, a toll on the revenue stream to these utility companies. So they're looking for uh, additional revenue from some, some, from source, some source. So, um, you know, that's, that's one of the reasons I think they're looking at it. Uh, there are some advantages of, of them looking into communications per se. Uh, one of them, one of the advantages, they, they know what a network looks like. They, they manage networks, albeit a, a utility network, uh, not a fiber optic telecommunications network, but they are, are already um, managing networks. Um, they have exper experienced crews. They have experienced administrations that are used to working with networks and customer bases and, and that kind of service type operation. Um, one of the advantages I see for them is they have existing infrastructure. Most of them have uh, probably the majority of, of, of aerial environments. Uh, they have the majority of the structures, such as poles and the routes. Um, they're used to working in right of ways. They have easements already in place. Uh, I can think of uh, some of the contracts they already have in place, too, with some of the existing telcos that they work with in the areas. Uh, they'll usually have a joint use contract that they can work together on. They already have that in place. Um, and, and another thing is the relationships they already have built. So looking at some of the permitting that they have to do, they've, they've built those relationships with the permitting uh, agencies, uh, several jurisdictions they work in, like we mentioned earlier, they've already got those rest, uh, relationships in place. So it really is just, it is a continuation of what they do and it, it aligns very well. Jimmy, how big is, is that uh, as far as an advantage go, just having those pre-existing relationships when it comes to regulatory challenges and hurdles that you have to jump over? Is that a big deal for, you know, how much of an advantage is that for some of these companies? I, I believe it's a big one, especially when you look at speed to market and just knowing the timeframes and uh, how you can reduce timeframes by maybe uh, the way you build something or construct it when it comes to permitting. I think it is a definitely a factor that, that comes into 
to play during the construction of the networks. Yeah, what's what's interesting, Jimmy, is we've even seen utilities that that have the capacity to uh, to essentially have a general permit across the jurisdiction. Uh, since they're not not a non-for-profit entity, more than likely uh, they might be owned by the the jurisdiction that they're permitting inside of. Uh, that that speed to market phrase that you mentioned is is critically important. Uh, so oftentimes, what we've seen in a lot of the larger build-outs that we've been a part of is is permitting is is the long pole in the tent in terms of yeah. getting to market. You're right, and it's an advantage too. Most of the time, when a utility is getting involved, they are looking at. Uh, a complete build out in most cases that may be phased, but at the same time, a complete build out does allow you to go to the permitting agency saying I'm building out my whole area. So I would like to get a, a general permit or a master permit type setup. There's something to be said for the trust between those two entities too. Um, is there a difference between a contractor submitting a permit and a municipality submitting a permit to the jurisdictional authority? Yeah, I think most permits come through the the individual individual companies that are doing the work. So, you know, if it is a a regional or RBOC or telephone company that's doing work in the area, they have those relationships too. But to your point, their relationship and knowing the people and having that trust over years of permitting, you know, permitting a utility uh, versus a telecom is not going to be much different um, or a telecommunication network is not going to be much different as far as the, who the people you're working with in the engineering permitting groups. You mentioned Arbok. Define that for us. Uh, regional Bell Operating Company. So that's when, um, back in '84, when they kind of separated all the uh, Bell companies into different ones. So, so South Central Bell and all the different Bell companies kind of formed from that instead of one over the United States. So, also some good advantages. Uh, Michael, you had mentioned the other day there's, uh, you know, obviously some distinct differences between operating a utility and operating a telecommunication company that they would need to consider when they're going into fiber. What are some of those? Yeah, there's, there's quite a few advantages. Uh, there's obviously some disadvantages, which we won't focus on too much. And that's probably more political than it is anything. Uh, but, but ultimately, you know, there are some significant advantages, I think, to utilities that are considering this approach. One is, uh, as I may have mentioned earlier, they have an established customer base. Uh, and what that means is they they have a captive audience, and uh, the likelihood that that their existing customer base would entertain um, services from from their utility is is fairly high, uh, and, and that's probably you know due to multiple factors, uh, maybe dissatisfaction with the existing provider, uh, maybe the utility can provide service cheaper uh, for for what the the end customer actually wants. So what we've seen. There's quite a bit of higher take rate uh, in those areas, uh, and take rate obviously um, uh, really has a direct impact on the amount of uh, operating uh, margin that you can create. Uh, so, so we have we have seen a higher take rate, and the time to market being quicker as well. Uh, the payback uh, for maybe some of these long-term debt scenarios that utilities are going to leverage in terms of building out that network uh, and the ability to start paying down that debt uh, is, is pretty significant. Uh, beyond that, they already have a mechanism to collect a bill, uh, as I mentioned earlier, which is which is uh, significant uh, in that they can just add a, essentially another line item on their existing um, utility rate card, uh, obviously given the given the permission to do that, either by, by charter or by their members. Uh, and then I think one of the big things that we, we oftentimes um, 
don't necessarily consider is they, they have very little in terms of legacy network uh, that they're having to maintain. I think our telecommunications providers today have, uh, they're having to strike a balance between the investment in new technology that they're going to deploy and then maintaining the investment that they've already made in, in, in historical technologies, such as um, maybe their copper plant that's providing DSL service. So, uh, utilities or, or even, you know, alt nets that are coming into the market don't necessarily have those legacy costs. Uh, so they can make um, they can make different decisions in terms of maybe the aggressiveness of their deployment uh, with the capital that they have at hand. Uh, they also tend to look at extending their existing assets. Uh, so oftentimes a municipality may put in an ITS environment, uh, that ITS environment um, uh, to support their uh, their traffic systems, for instance, uh, can provide uh, a, f a fairly compelling uh, reason to leverage it for for backbone or distribution technologies and a, and a fiber deployment of some kind. Uh, so there's there's existing assets and infrastructure that have been that have been put into the ground in the past to support other operational uh, uh, needs of that organization, whether it's a, a SCADA. Um, need or an ITS need that can then be reprovisioned uh, to support future build-out activities as well. And one of the things that I think we've talked about amongst us is the kind of the time seems to be right, both from a, you know public warning these services, but also from the new architectures that have come out that have made deployments faster, cheaper, easier. No, that's one of y'all's favorite topics is architecture. So, uh, Jimmy, what, what do you see is it, from an architecture standpoint that's made this a good time for utilities to start deploying that fiber optic networks? Well, I think uh, they, they've been tested and are truly tested, right? So you've had a little bit of uh, of different companies trying different things. So that's, that's an advantage. Let somebody be first on that. Uh, so coming in second, having um, one, having numerous options to choose from, which is uh, it's good and and it's a good thing to have. It's uh, also can be a challenge that we'll, we can talk about later on as far as one of the challenges I see with the utility companies and how they design their networks. But it's definitely uh, an advantage to come in and know that there are several options to choose from, um, which helps uh, match the geography that you may be trying to serve through, whether it be rural or urban environments. So that's definitely a plus. It's better and it's worse. I think in in, in the past, you've, you've, you've pretty much had a, a, a you know, one one methodology in terms of deployment architecture. So there really wasn't a decision necessarily to be made. Now, the manufacturers today uh, have made great strides even over the last five years in terms of the type of technology that you can deploy, whether it's an active or a passive network. Uh, and then ultimately, the, 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 the cost for that deployment are significantly less uh, than they were even, even five years ago. So I think the manufacturers are really driving um, you know, to not necessarily commoditize the costs of their equipment uh, in the field, but certainly to reduce the costs and make deployment easier. So we've seen things like uh, multi-port service terminals uh, that allow, you know, plug and play connectivity from to a first splitter, whereas, you know, in the past, you may have had to splice that cable into a splice and had another splice at the, at, at the house. And it was, um, you know, time-consuming, uh, if not costly, to do that. Whereas now, you, these plug-and-play technologies that uh, that allow you to to deploy uh, even faster and more cost-effectively are are significant, and we only see that getting 
getting better even. So, uh, you know, the advent of wireless some, some, somewhat changes the dynamic uh, a bit from a 5G perspective because that's such a monumental change in terms of wireless technology and what that may mean, uh, you know, from a speed and, and load latency perspective. But uh, we'll see advances in, in that arena as well. We already have, we're on the maybe the third or fourth phase of radios today. And that's just within, you know, an 18 to 24 month uh, time frame. So um, the challenges of that is keeping up and ensuring that you're deploying a technology that can last um, and, and be future proofed for your, for, for, for future investment uh, to reduce the potential to have to maintain that legacy network that we're that we may now have based on new technologies that are that have come to come to the forefront. Yeah, I was going to say I think that um, one of the things that you kind of hit on there, Michael, was it, it almost seems that the manufacturers have uh, options for them to match their capabilities within their 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 forces or their construction uh, maybe their aptitude to splice is not there and they can use plug and play or maybe they're very good at splicing fiber and they can uh, go with another product but it gives the uh, the utility companies uh, options I guess to match uh, what their current workforces can uh, can achieve yeah I agree most uh, if someone's just starting to look into deploying a fiber optic network they may not realize that the, the vast majority of cost is in the labor so you know, these advances are, are very significant as far as lowering the cost. It's not just a small component. It's the, the majority of the cost. So, yeah, and there's and there's trade offs there. Right. So they got to realize that going with a, a, a plug and play or, or something like that may uh, may reduce um, the amount of length they can go with their fiber because it is going to add some uh, some DB loss across the network. So it's really, like I said, giving them options and then they have to weigh out what works best for their network and their their company which almost demands that you kind of pre-flight right your 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 network deployment options you know with with some sort of plan uh, mm-hmm. that that underscores uh, what what technology is is most well suited for the type of deployment that that, that you're you're going to undertake so whether that's uh, a rural deployment that maybe different technologies work over others versus a you know a um, you know, an inner city deployment where, you know, only maybe one technology works and, and trying to plan that out is really critical. I think it's a great point because as utilities start looking into the cost of designing a, or of building a fiber network, one of the first things they do obviously is get a plan and initial design. But if they're only getting one type of architecture they're looking at, um, which you know, at that point, the, the cost of the design seems expensive to them. But the potential savings of looking at two or three different types of architectures, if it if they can find a way to do it uh, cost effectively, could potentially save them significant amounts of money as well as help them provide better, better services. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I agree. I think uh, that's one of the challenges. I, I think we wanted to talk about a little bit the challenges of what utilities experience, and I think that is one of the challenges of. Um, I, I do believe in some cases, uh, utility companies or or their um, ones that are looking into providing um, tele, uh, telecommunications or fiber optic networks through a utility oversimplify what a fiber optic network looks like and what it, the components in it, all the different options you have there. So um, that's one of the challenges I see. Yeah, or or even, I agree, Jimmy, or even aligning you know, with maybe a particular manufacturer for equipment. That manufacturer for equipment may not necessarily have uh, the options in terms of the time of types of architecture that you can deploy. But if you're already married to a manufacturer, then, then you're, 
your deployment options you know, can be significantly limited as well. So get, I guess the, the lesson there is to get with a good consultant and we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about what makes a good consultant a little bit too, but uh, get with someone who can help you understand the type of network you need to deploy for your geography before you choose a manufacturer. Yeah, I agree totally. Uh, so we, we talked a little bit about the advantages. Obviously, there's lots of different reasons generating additional revenue. Uh, talk a little bit about the, um, I guess, advantages from the consumer standpoint of what, why should they support their utilities or, or co-op getting uh, fiber optic networks? The, the consumer has the ability in terms of a, a municipal or utility deployment to, you know, it could potentially be quite a bit cheaper. Uh, secondarily to that, uh, even providing an alternative uh, to maybe the existing providers in the area can can drive down costs. We've seen that where I've lived. Uh, I live in uh, the city of Huntsville. Uh, Huntsville Utilities embarked on a, a, a project with Google Fiber that we were part of to uh, essentially deploy a network on top of their uh, electric utility and, and have, have seen success. And you know, as a as a resident of the city and as a as a subscriber to Huntsville Utilities for my electric water and gas, uh, I've seen significant decreases in in the the cost for for providing fiber service to my home, uh, and and that's true for not only the, uh, the Google Fiber implementation, but uh, for the competitors as well. So I think that's been that's a huge advantage. Um, you know, having options in the market uh, can can significantly benefit your 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 yeah. constituent residents or. or fee payers. I would even say having an option because I think uh, when you look at it from a from a cooperative or uh, somebody that um, where every um, every customer in, in at the end of the program or at the end of the build out has to be served, then now you have an option because there's just some pockets that just never get looked at from a, from a telco that's not governed that way, right? So some areas that have um, still can't get even the earlier of services such as DSL and just your standard, um, maybe cable, uh, internet, uh, they don't have an option. So now with a, with a co-op coming in and building out a telecom network, then they have the option to actually get high speed data. That would be my, one of the big advantages as a consumer. Yeah. And with that, there's, there's funding available for that. Uh, then I'm, I'm sure if you're listening to this podcast, most people are aware of it. Uh, but, but that, that funding does exist for these types of build outs in the, in the rural areas and, uh, which can seem daunting, and you don't necessarily have to build um, in, in to its entirety. Maybe, maybe you have strategic locations in, in your jurisdiction where you provide that uh, that capability. Um, you know, maybe to to, to public buildings, uh, for instance, to parks. Um, uh, but it's really just providing, you know, a certain amount of service to those residents that they might not used to. They might not be used to uh, being able to purchase. Or if they can purchase, it's a satellite solution or, or, or um, you know, very slow uh, cop- copper solution that it really just doesn't satisfy today need, today's needs and kind of overcome what they call the digital divide. Yeah, I'm like you, Michael. I've seen personal advantages to the Huntsville Fiber uh, network build out, and they've been significant for me and my kids and just the bills that we get. Like our our internet was about 100 megabytes, just to put it in the real world perspective. Uh, I think we were paying around $140 a month, and within 24 months, uh, you know, that's gone down to $79 a month for a gigabit per service, which is, you know, fiber now versus which was uh, coax previously. So definitely have seen just a result of that competition. Uh, even the, the previous legacy company that we were working with, 
uh, they've lowered their rates and, and up their service as well. So it's it's been very good for the city of Huntsville, I think. So we, we've kind of talked a little bit about why the utilities would want to build a fiber network, some of the advantages they have, advantages of constituents. So now it'd be good to, from you know, collective years of experience of seeing these projects go well, some not go so well. Um, I think, Michael, as you were working on as a consultant with the Google Fire project, you looked at a lot of different municipalities, uh, their permitting requirements, some of the challenges of different places. So what, from that standpoint, what do utilities need to be aware of as they start looking into this? What, what challenges will they experience and maybe some ways they can overcome this? Yeah, Dustin, I think one of the things, uh, one of the first things that a utility has to look at is, um, and this is something that, Michael, you may know more about, um, the existing charters they have in place, because it's obvious that some of them will not have uh, a fiber network as part of their existing charter. So I think, Michael, you had, um, I think one of the co-ops just recently, they had some voting going on, and I think it even showed favorability in changing the charter, but maybe you can talk a little bit about the charter part of the business. Yeah, I know specifically around a, a co-op here, uh, here in the North Alabama region, uh, has been evaluating whether or not to to, to build out a, a, a fiber network uh, specifically. And uh, there's quite a bit of, of work that went into this from a from an education point of view, both in terms of its members and uh, and its board. Uh, but it's a uh, Joe Wheeler EMC, and there's if you want to Google that, you certainly can. There's there's some some articles about this, but um, a fairly um, Joe Wheeler EMC has been around for many years. Has been providing uh, electric service uh, to its member uh, to its members for for quite some time, uh, and um, the idea of fiber was probably to a certain extent somewhat foreign to them even 10 years ago. Uh, specifically in terms of providing fiber service to their to their to their members, but uh, just recently they had a vote and voted ac across their membership uh, not over 93% in favor of fiber, and uh, it's it's a pretty um, impressive number in terms of an overarching vote because uh, it, it not only meant that that the board members um, that <clears throat> were, were significantly uh, interested in pushing forward, but it meant that their members were as well. Uh, and that, that just speaks to, to maybe some of the divide that, that exists even here, uh, locally within, you know, what some might call less rural, uh, but, but, but certainly that divide does definitely exist uh, amongst their members, uh, so that they voted to move forward, uh, with build out. Uh, of a fiber network, and, and we'll we'll start working down that path here here shortly. Some of the other challenges I think about is the, um, and we see this a lot with the the ones that we've worked with before, is um, the engineering consultants or engineering um, team that they have come in to help them establish these networks. Um, a lot of times they're they're usually uh, focused on one method that they've used before in the past, and and that's kind of what they do their continuation of their consulting or their um, the way they uh, advise the utility to perform uh, to go through with their network architecture and what we've found is that uh, many of these don't match the either the geographic location the type of service that they're going after their future plans uh, there's a lot of lots of different variables that go into picking the right architecture and like i mentioned earlier um, uh, fiber optic networks are usually oversimplified uh, when they're first being talked about in a utility uh, there's just a lot of different options that match um, particular use cases as, as far as what 
how they're going to be uh, utilized within the geographic area, uh, what types of services, and uh, the, the, whether it be a residential or or even a private business, uh, those those things need to be factored in as well as just a geographic location. So it's important to, as as each challenge goes, it's important that they have the different options to look at. Is it one single architecture that'll ma match and take care of everything, or is it a hybrid solution that they have to look at, uh, kind of. Um, uh, partitioning out certain areas uh, of their build to be distributed or centralized split. Uh, a lot of those kind of things come into play when you're looking at a uh, a network within a an overall network and a planned network, uh, looking at the entirety of the what the network will look at and what's the best option. Yeah, I agree, Jimmy. And even even understanding what I would say is kind of the geographic disbursement uh, of of the customer uh, and, and its impact on the type of network topology you deploy. Um, even we've seen uh, how service areas are provisioned. Uh, oftentimes we'll see service areas that are created across jurisdictions uh, with, with no network plan. Uh, so those, those service areas and identification of, of, of take rate and the financial models associated with that uh, you know, are certainly you're certainly able to challenge those uh, because those service areas um, are a little bit biased in terms of you know, maybe, maybe the demographics of the area and, and what that means for their take rate, as opposed to how you would how you would notionally service that type of topology in that area based on, um, you know, rivers and rivers and creeks and railroads and interstates and how those can impact uh, those boundaries. Yeah, and I think also one thing that comes into play is how they actually deploy the network, right? So it's it's one thing uh, to have the network uh, kind of visualized how you're going to um, how it's going to look in the end, but it's also important to see how you're going to deploy that, which which is the best area to go into for uh, speed and return on investment uh, initially as you go to fulfill the uh, requirements of whatever the network looks like in the end. Challenges wise, anything else that we'd add to the plate? I think one thing that you kind of alluded to earlier, Michael, is there's going to inevitably be politics and uh, each local uh, utility will have to navigate those depending on the area. Some we've seen you know, various amounts of that. Some communities don't want their yards being dug up and don't care about the advantages of fiber. And some are saying, bring it at all cost. You know, just tell me where you put it. So we've kind of seen both ends of the spectrum there. We have, and 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 your incumbent providers, you know, that obviously see this as a threat uh, as well. Uh, that'll oftentimes challenge. Um, challenge that entity's ability to even move forward. Uh, so it, it is a daunting task or can seem to be if, you, if you're entertaining uh, doing this at some point, but uh, it's a worthwhile task, I would say, uh, at the end, because your, your citizens and your customers will actually you know, receive tangible benefits from it. That's how we've seen, I guess, I guess the most success overcoming is get the constituents excited about the potentials of what it'll do, not from just giving them lower cost and more services, but you know, increased home value, uh, growth rates of cities. I think most everyone has seen the the numbers of you know home values can go up by what, three four percent. I think is the the latest studies by having fiber access in a neighborhood. So people can get excited about it if if you do your job marketing it. So Michael, you you had said uh, previously, uh, I guess the other day, a, a great way to say it is utility company shouldn't really be asking the question of if they should build fiber. It really should be how they do it. And that brings up the, the different business models that a utility can consider when they're going into a fiber build out. 
Uh, can you elaborate on what those options might look like and maybe some of the advantages of them? Yeah, sure. We've seen we've seen several models, and and I can maybe speak to some specifically. But we've seen we've seen some models where uh, a utility may may elect to leverage its long-term debt capacity uh, to build to build a network. <clears throat> so, uh, for those of you who don't know, utilities can can oftentimes go to the bond market and 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 build uh, build assets. Um, you know, with with a, a general return of, of, of a you know twenty or thirty years, and that that long term debt capacity gives you the ability um, to ultimately spread the cost, let's say, uh, of of that network build you know across that twenty or thirty year time frame. Whereas whereas a, a telecommunications company doesn't necessarily have that kind of freedom because uh, they're using their own cash more often than not to to pay for that investment. So. So with that, we've seen utilities that, that, have, that have gone to the long-term debt market, <clears throat> built their assets, created a lease agreement uh, with a provider, and then essentially provisioned uh, provisioned ports and fibers uh, on that network um, uh, to, to a provider, which 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 did did a couple things. It provided um, provided uh, a sustainable revenue model uh, for the utility moving forward to help pay back that investment in the long-term debt market. Uh, while also providing uh, dedicated uh, paths or circuits uh, to the provider to to the end customer, uh, so we've seen that model uh, be quite effective. We've seen other models where where uh, um, providers may, may build out a network and then lease a significant portion of that network, um, you know, for for dedicated purposes. So an example of this might be the E-rate, um, where uh, and utilities could could do something very similar uh, to this, but uh, essentially under, under the E-rate program, it was to build out networks for schools and provide fiber connectivity uh, between uh, between schools and certain jurisdictions. And and uh, progressive providers that that saw this as an opportunity built out the initial network and got the payback on that initial network. Uh, uh, based on the ERA contracts that they were able to negotiate and, and win, uh, but they extended and expanded um, the capacity of the network as they built it uh, using their 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 funds. So uh, so that's been that's been a, a very positive experience, and we've seen uh, some quite large regional providers that have come come out of that um, decision uh, where they're still providing E-rate communication services back. Uh, between the schools, but they're also created a, a commercial, um, you know, fiber to the business uh, type of model with the extra capacity that they built with their funds. Uh, we've seen some run it themselves uh, with, with varying degrees of success. Um, uh, and really that, that really uh, gets down to, you know, what services that you are going to provide over that network, whether it's a um, if you're providing the, the historical triple play type services, your voice, uh, data, and television, or uh, the ones that we've seen that have had, uh, to me, the most success is if you just primarily just focus on the data element, uh, especially with everybody cutting the cord these days. It's 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 moving into really a, a different model, uh, certainly. And we've seen open broadband, so we're, we have we've got a few customers in Europe as well, and we're we're seeing. Um, the ability for uh, an open network where uh, customers have the ability uh, to select service uh, from one of several providers, but along the same 
using the same equipment in their house, using the same fiber um, you know, on the network. It's really just a, a function in, to shop um, multiple providers, but using the same facilities um, across the way. And what that helps help done, at least in Europe, is drive down uh, drive down the cost of service by virtue of of let's say three providers participating in that open broadband network and 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 competing um, really on a on a monthly basis um, for for those customers by either providing good quality customer service, providing um, uh, more more value in terms of features, um, or, or and then obviously just uh, providing it at less cost. Yeah, well, one thing to add to that that I've seen uh, here lately is just um, a utility company that's actually um, at least considering 5G and they're uh, building in extra capacity to handle 5G drop-offs to resell as a, as a lease network. Um, as 5G expands into the more, this, this area just happened to be a little bit more rural. So it would give an opportunity for them to sell those lease services for 5G in a rural environment. Bottom line is, you know, for utilities looking at it, they don't have to look at it as they're going to operate the network. Uh, they have options. I guess it's important for them to realize this. You know, they can do it to dark fiber. They can they can lease it to an anchor tenant, and they can just build a network for their constituents, provide that value, and uh, not necessarily take on the burden of the upkeep and because it is. I guess Jimmy probably talk a little bit. This it's quite a bit different servicing a, a fiber optic network and broadband services than it is a utility, you know, electric. What are some yeah, of the differences they need to be aware of? It is, and I think um, you know the the regular maintenance of uh, of uh, damaged uh, facilities out in the field. That's a that's a big one, right? And utility companies are at least used to some of that uh, from a um, if it be electric company or gas water, but electric company definitely used to um, having to go maintain a damage plan out in the field. Um, but one of the things I was going to say is that um, they they can choose uh, which piece they want to operate. So maybe it is still handling some of the the maintenance, but one of the um, the pieces that when you talk about a uh, uh, fiber network is maybe the end pieces. So at the, at the home location uh, or at the um, at the head end, uh, maybe that piece is uh, a piece that they don't want to actually maintain, and they want to uh, contract that out uh, possible there. Uh, that would be an area that they may not be as comfortable with, whereas they may be more comfortable with managing the outside plant piece of the facilities. And one of the differences, I guess, will be that, you know, utilities obviously are a regulated uh, thing. Do you, do you see regulation coming where, you know, it's mandatory that every customer has access to, uh, you know, high-speed broadband, just like they do water and electricity? That's what I see in the political realm. I see everybody pushing that way. Now, how long or how soon that happens, I don't know. But I do see that as, as the more people depend on it, um, it seems like it is becoming where it's pretty much necessary to have some type of data connection. So I can see it where, uh, where government steps in and requires that there is uh, some presence uh, that somebody has presence to or access to high-speed uh, internet at their home. I read the, uh, you mentioned the Connect America Fund previously, Michael, and you know, that was a conversion from the Universal Services Fund to the Connect America Fund. Uh, and I went to that website and read what the FCC had to say when they were announcing that. And the, the first sentence kind of tells it all just broadband has gone from being a luxury to a necessity for full participation in our economy and society for all Americans. So you can kind of see they're, they're leaning toward, and this is something we have to get in the hands of our, our uh, 
constituents in order for them to be competitive in the job market, you know, both domestically and internationally. So, you know, you can you definitely can see it headed that way. The the billions of dollars that the federal government is investing in it today. Um, the fact that you're right that it's providing a benefit that's critical to maybe the success of our economy moving forward. Uh, t- you tend to think that it's that there's no other there's no other there's no other path that it could go other than be a, being a regulated service. Now there are probably multiple uh, providers today uh, that provide service that would be would not be a fan of that. Um, but obviously, but uh, it's really going to it'll be an interesting battle to to watch over the next several years in terms of who wins. Well, uh, I think that's uh, covers a lot. Is there anything you guys like to add to wrap it up? Yeah, we're, we're fortunate. As you said, Jimmy and I have been in this world for, for quite some time. Jimmy, more on the telecommunications side and more, me more on the utilities side. And um, the convergence of, of the two is is fascinating to watch. And it's really an exciting time for our industry. Um, poses some challenges. We focus on a little bit of those today. Uh, but outside of the challenges, uh, you know, there are significant opportunities, um, you know, for us as a company, for others uh, that are that are in this industry, uh, from employment uh, all the way to uh, providing service to those that need it. It's it's a, it's really an exciting industry to be in. And I agree. I think there's a plenty of opportunity for anybody in the uh, uh, it's been dealing with telecom or uh, fiber networks. And as these utility companies get more involved and, and like I said, I don't, like we said earlier, it's not a question of uh, why, if it's more of a question of when, but I, I only thing I could, couldn't stress more is just the, uh, what we see and what we have seen with uh, the variety of, um, of the ways you build out a fiber network. That's just going to be very important that they, they nail that down early on. And um, there's, there's just uh, a lot of different variables that go into that. So it's very important that they consider everything that they have in front of them. Well, I think you hit on the, the things that really jump out to me are, you know, it's something that we've got to get done as a country and uh, the utilities have to take on the obligation for their constituents to keep them competitive. And so I agree that it's a, um, it should be something they're all planning for, not waiting to see what happens. And, and of course we, we've seen a lot of consultants who've, been successful in helping adapt to different architectures for different geographies and different use cases and business cases. And we've seen some who've uh, probably not been as effective and have uh, either extended the project long beyond what it should have been or, or cost more money or had the utility providing less effective services than they would have otherwise. So I think, you know, one of the things I would, I guess, uh, advise is that companies really spend time picking their their consultant or their partners as they start the project in the planning phase and in the budgeting phase. It's really important to, to do their homework and make sure that they're choosing someone who's uh, who's got experience in lots of different architectures in different areas and uh, who can really help guide them through that process. And you know, there's, there's good ones out there. So just do their homework and make sure they're choosing one. Yep. I agree. Well, thanks for, uh, thanks for having us, Dustin. Yep. It's been fun. Yeah, it's, it's been fun. It's been, it's been, it's been, it's been fun. We, maybe we'll do this next to a fire next time. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That, we were doing the evening, so we have a have a drink instead of coffee. Pass, so. pass the cognac, please. Pass the cognac. <laughs> 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 you must be making more money than me. <laughs>
just need a schlitz. I'm a schlitz oh, kind of guy. And I'm pass, the, pass the mad dog. Pass the mad dog. Thank you, guys. I really appreciate it. Well, that's going to do it for this episode of Fiberside Chat. Thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in to this episode. As always, please go subscribe on iTunes or Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And, of course, we'll be back soon with more episodes. But until then, thanks so much for listening to this one, and we'll see you next time.